Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and David. Zach has some excuse. He's not here this week. He's got um, an excuse? What? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, he had what a kid could be more important than yeah, like recording some, Notorious Scoundrels? A baby was born and he might be the father. Oh. Man, the lengths that people will that he'll go to, to to get out of a week of recording. Yeah, I'm sure he doesn't want to be here at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, congrats, congrats to Zach. Um, he is uh, uh, with with an infant, I assume at home. Um, and uh, yeah, good luck, man. Uh, <laughs> we will uh, we will soldier on um, for this week. So we've got uh, a couple of things to talk about. We have actually an interview with the sculpting lead. Uh, for Legion from Fantasy Flight Games, Corey DeVore, and we will have that in just a few minutes. But before that, we actually got a preview article for a bunch of stuff. We had a bunch of actual like stats for Imperial Special Forces that we did not know about. Mike, as our resident Imperial here, you want to walk through the uh, the dirty here? Yo. Do I? Yeah, of course I do. This is awesome. Like, this is... Oh, man. Um, So we've got Inferno Squad, uh, and I guess the generic here is Imperial Special Forces, but I think the box is actually, like, the Inferno Squad box, right? Like... Yeah, I think I think I think the expansion is officially called, like, Inferno Squad. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of parallels I think we can draw here. Um, These guys kind of feel like Rebel Pathfinders with... Uh, red saves and reliable, which seems real good. Um, <laughs> I mean, they, they don't have the Intersense and they don't have Dauntless. Right. Um, I mean, they yeah. clearly have different defensive modes, right? right, right. Like they, they've got mm-hmm. a much more Imperial mode um, as opposed to like clearly Rebels are relying on white saves and dodge tokens and danger sense and, and all that. And Imperials are more like, here's my armor, shoot at me. Um, so... Um, I guess to like very briefly go through it here, um, they have the infiltrate keyword, which is kind of where the Pathfinders comparison comes in. Um, and they have reliable one. Um, clearly they can't share their surge tokens and they surge to hit. So um, that's really just to kind of like up their saves on defense. I think a lot of the time, as long as they're not getting shot multiple times a turn, these guys are basically surge to, to block on defense, um, which, is, which is pretty cool, um, you know. Uh, these days. And I think maybe most importantly, the keyword on this card that matters the most is the marksman keyword. Um, you know, combined with their um, heavy weapon, their generic heavy weapon, they've got four white dice, four black dice, critical two surge to hit. Um, you know, David, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, surge to hit and critical two before we jumped on here. Um, I think it's actually pretty good with marksman. Yeah, it, it just expands the amount of options they've got. And um, just, you know, rolling some dice, you know, on my own in TTS, just seeing like the the ease at which you can generate results with this combination is it's really kind of amazing. Um, you, I think O-Push is going to be a staple on these guys. Um, I guess when we were, what we were chatting about before was this this gun that they have, the T-21 Special Forces Trooper. It's, you know, four white, one to three. Critical two for twenty nine points. We've seen this gun before. Uh, this is actually a CMO ninety three from the Rebel Veterans, but it's on a, what I would say is a much stronger body, and one that has you know keywords that don't benefit you know from getting orders unless it's you know Iden's tactical strike. So I, I just think this is a lot more flexible than the Veterans, and you know despite the little bit of diminishing returns you might get on critical. Uh, versus search to hit there are some cases when you roll out and you have um you know once you have a certain number of crits uh your aims are you know not how to say it like the aims are not you can convert blanks a lot a lot more easily than you could on a unit like say cassian that doesn't have sharpshooter right yeah i mean um like stormtroopers too right they also have a t21 that's critical too but they also surge to hit and I think on those units, when you're when you're turning aim tokens into like 
you know, a one in eight to get a crit times two, as opposed to this aim token is always a crit in addition to the critical two. You could really start piling crits in um, pretty rapidly, I think. Uh, so, I mean, this gun is is super good, it seems. I think the uh, generic version of this squad is really awesome. Um, but I think maybe more importantly, and maybe on a much cooler level, is we've got the actual Inferno squad um, card now, which, you know, we've, we've already seen Dell and Gideon. Uh, we've talked about them a little bit um, on the cast. And... Um, you know, this is, they basically have all the same keywords as the ISF, except uh, Imperial Special Forces, except that they have an equip keyword that says Del Mico and Gideon Hask on it. And then they also have Retinue Iden Versio. And it says at the start of your activation phase, uh, it looks like you can gain a, a surge, aim, or a dodge token, I think, or maybe it should aim and a dodge. Um, I, uh, I'm reading like small italicized text at the moment. I actually think it's just an aim or a dodge token. So it, it is just um, aim or dodge. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so basically, if you're taking these guys, like you also want to be taking Iden. I think that's a very cool way to not limitless building, but reward taking certain characters together. Like I think we've seen before with like Cassian and K2. Right, like you can't have K two without Cassian, which is more of a limitation. Whereas with Retinue, you know, you can take Inferno Squad without Iden, but you get a perk if you do take them together. And I really kind of like that incentivization structure when you're when you're building this. Yeah, and this is the same keyword that's on uh, Clan Ren, and there are very few abilities that give you f- like tokens for free before the turn starts without having to do anything um reliable and i think just this one you know there are there are keywords like target or defend where you get a free token when you get an order um but retinue is just as long as you're close enough you know to the character in question you just straight up get like a free aim or a dodge token uh so you can pretty much bank like if you run inferno squad with Aiden or clan run with sabine you can pretty much bank on that free token as long as they're close enough to whoever that is, which, you know, they will be if you're running them together. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy that like there are units that exist now that basically have like half of the, my ally is the force effect, like as, as like a, it's like stapled to their unit card as opposed yeah. to being like part of a command card. Well, and that's a funny example because my ally is the force, you know, it's, it's face up orders equal dodge tokens, which is usually two free yeah. dodge tokens. And that was a great card when it came still out. Still is, and frankly. it's still a great card. Yeah. Particularly because dodges are so valuable on Luke specifically. Um but well, also you have situational awareness coming. Yep. To kind of boost that value of that card again as well. Right. Um but it's a it's a great card. But then you know now you have obviously you're paying for this keyword, right? Like um both Imperial Special Forces and Clan Run are gonna clock in at over a hundred points. Um and you can only take one of them. So, you know, it is, it is, uh, a unique, is, is this, I'm trying to think, have we had a, a actual like unique unit that's not a character before these two? I mean, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think, I think so. You can, you can sort of say that like Bistan Pathfinders and POW Pathfinders are a little bit like that. Yeah. It's, it's not the same. But it's kind of like the general idea. I this, think. Right. This is this is the first unit card. This and Clan Run are the first unit cards that are unique that have multiple models in the unit. Yeah, the, the idea of having like multiple characters in in the same unit, like I am, I am so ready for Bad Batch. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, right. like that. Like that's when I look at these. And like I watched the last season of Clone Wars, I'm like, all right, like they're just setting this up. Like let's 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 just get it done. Like like feed me now. Like like where's where's my clone? You know, um, a, equivalent of Inferno Squad and Clan Ren because it's uh, I, yeah, I'm uh, I'm ready, I'm ready, guys. Where's, where's my separatist unit of named uh, droid droid BX droids or something? 
Oh, wait, that's uh, not really a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you if, if you give like Star Wars enough time, they there will be a story somewhere where, you know, they name each droid and it's like, I'm TX, you know, 37. And, you know, they'll have names and they'll, I don't know. Like if we wait long enough, Disney will do it. And then if we wait longer, they'll make it. I, I guarantee it, man. There's 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 those weird series of Clone Wars episodes where R2 has like a posse of droids. Do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Right, yeah. <laughs> he like he like leads a he leads some sort of droid like uh commando operation or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe eventually we'll get something like that for uh for Separatists. But yeah, sad droid noises. Um no, I'm really excited about this. So one thing one thing that jumps out at me from looking at these special forces is uh tactical strike yeah i mean it seems like they're almost like a match made in heaven to some degree right like um you know being able to like double move on either inferno squad or imperial special forces gain two aim tokens and basically use them on marksmen um i mean we've seen tactical strike be very good on Iden because of the steady tactical um marksman interaction already and this just feels like for each special forces of this isf or inferno squad that you take you're basically getting another Iden in your tactical strike pool sometimes with a better gun frankly like um like an an imperial special forces unit has a better gun than Iden does like just straight up this really ramps up the offense that the that card is capable of and like you know, part of my the cynical part of my brain says, okay, for one turn, I didn't all your special forces. Uh, well, they're Captain Rex, and then they're also snowtroopers <laughs> at the same time because they have the they have like some really like unit defining keywords, right? They have tactical, which is crazy strong at a unit with marksmen, like you know Cassian, for example. Maybe it's just other Cassian for a turn. Um, and then of course they have steady, which you know not only is that well two moves and shoot. You know, initially you might say, okay, well, I'm going to move forward twice and shoot. But you can infiltrate to like a safe location and then like peek out like Snows used to do back when Snows were like a primary unit in the meta, shoot and then return safely before anything else happens. So there's like a lot of like strong play there that's, you know, maybe a little less interactive than we're used to. I don't know, man. I'm just happy that the Navy SEALs that we're getting are fantastic. You know, like these guys are like, I don't know. Um, I I get what you're saying, um, but I think that you know, for what you're, I if there's if we get special forces in, and my hope is that Clan Ren and Inferno Squad, you know, will be able to take the the place of strike teams in a lot of these Civil War lists, especially with strike teams kind of being maybe not as good as they used to be. Right, like the alternative. The alternative, of course, is I'm giving up those precious spots for strike teams. Yeah, and yeah, I think I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a, fundamentally it's a good thing, right? Because we would we would like to see more full squads, and we'd like to see more list variation, right? We don't want to see every list with three strikes in it. Right, like I think. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoy the Legion meta generally, as far as like strike teams and like how list building has gone. But I also think that like to some degree, you want your special forces to be cool. They're like the thing other than like your commander that is supposed to be, you know, they're the, I don't know, but like they're the devastators you take in your space Marine list that like, you know, just lay down all the fire or they're your, you know, fast attack assault jump troops, you know, in your space Marine list that are like bounding across the board and then, you know, cutting people up where they're your terminators. And I think that um, strike teams has pushed a lot of that sort of feel out to some degree of like generic lists. And I, I think both of these units are starting to bring that back into kind of, you know, kind of mainlining. I, I agree. Elite units should feel and act elite. I agree. Um, and, you know, again, I, I, I just, you know, I just agree with you. I think elite units should be elite, you know? Yep. Um, 
Is there anything else we want to? So we will in, undoubtedly do a more in-depth uh, sort of how-to tactics, Imperial Special Forces on a future cast. Um, but should oh, we? Yeah, we will. Absolutely. It's going to oh, yeah. happen. Yeah. Uh, certainly Mike will be excited for that episode. Um, but uh, let's let's go ahead and get Corey Devorah on here and talk to him about sculpting. And we're back with Corey DeVore. How are you doing this evening, man? Uh, doing good. How about you? Good. You know, surviving. It is uh, It is Monday. Um, I like that I have this podcast every week so I can benchmark when the week actually starts. <laughs> um, so can you tell us, uh, so you, are, you work for Fantasy Flight Games um, mm-hmm. on the sculpting team. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, maybe more specifically what you do? and how you got into sculpting miniatures for FFG. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm a weird person. <laughs> I, I am not just a sculptor, like in a way that's like, uh, it's like one of the things that interests me, I guess. <clears throat> I like, like all of us, but I, I definitely, I'm actually more kind of an animator and, uh, a long time ago, like I'm talking, oh man, it's like 2000, 11 2000 maybe 2012 or 13 um i actually uh initially reached out to fantasy flight like way back (laughs) way before there was any legion and i ended up doing uh some freelance for them and uh and then i ended up i was like one of their first digital freelancers actually for digital sculpting um, they had done at the time, I believe they'd just done the X-Wing stuff, the X-Wing ships, and all of that was just done in SolidWorks and CAD and stuff. And so they were looking into doing um, actual like organic sculpts because back then, as everyone knows from like Imperial Assault and stuff, uh, all those sculpts were traditional. And yeah, so I was like one of the first people on like a list, a short list uh, to do digital sculpting for them, which was crazy. <laughs> so i have a question because i actually don't know the answer to this could you walk us through what like a traditional sculpt or a non-traditional sculpt is yeah uh so basically like a traditional sculpt would be all physical right the entire process would be you like you, you know you got um like uh basically all the kind of great miniature traditional sculptors start with like thin wire aluminum or copper and you'll kind of get like a little armature because you have an idea, right? Like, I'm going to do this guy. and He's got like a gun and he's going to shoot this guy. And uh, so you like your little armature is just like your little gesture lines, right? And you want to make sure that like that's the bones. And then you'll kind of uh, get like, you know, epoxy or if it's larger format clay. But for miniatures, it's usually some form of like two-part epoxy or like a, a very firm clay, uh, clay like usually a... Uh, kind of like, like a Sculpey clay or a Fimo, which are like, I don't, I don't know if you basically like bakeable clays. Um, and then they're basically cause they're more firm and you'll sculpt the whole thing exclusively in that. So, uh, and usually the way it's done is in layers. So you'll kind of work in like epoxy and you'll like break out the basic shapes and epoxy only has like two hours before it's like cured and hardened. Um, Sometimes, well, sometimes longer, depending on the epoxy, as you know, like green stuff, green stuff's basically just a two part epoxy. And, um, yeah, so you'll like sculpt and then as it hardens, you'll just get like more detailed cause you're, you go from like pushing around shapes to like carving shapes and cutting and stuff and chiseling. Uh, and yeah, that's like the traditional method, which then has, you know, you basically have to make the mold from that physical and you're you're basically ruining the the original to make a mold for it. So you can cast a bunch of like copies, like resin copies that you can use to make your, your mold. So there's probably resin positive copies of all, you know, any traditional sculpt that's out there. Um, But, but yeah, it's usually very like lossy process and you'd have to like mail the model back and forth to like, or send pictures to like get notes. (laughs) So I'm picturing like, 
like old school Michelangelo style with a hammer and a chisel. <laughs> I mean, kind of, you know, like, in front of like a bus. like little tiny miniature, uh, you know, you're like cutting epoxy, you know, or if it's larger format, then yeah, you can totally use like stone, which is purely subtractive. I mean, mostly, uh, and then like clay and stuff, oil based clays. And that's like the way, you know, if you look at like old Imperial salt models and, uh, just a lot of like older fantasy flight sculpts, those are all done by physical sculptors. A lot of which were actually like through the, the factory in, in China. They're like, there's like a really talented team of sculptors there that would handle a lot of the molding and casting and they would handle, uh, hiring the sculpting. So that's what it was like, but, but like, you know, long time ago. And I think it was forbidden stars. It was like long time ago that I, st- I love that game. Yeah, I love that game too. That was, and I, yeah, I was like my first time doing sculpting for fantasy flight uh, digitally. And pretty much after that, it's, you know, started getting more regular work, but Oh, sorry. Um, digital sculpting, the opposite just being that like, you're working entirely in like ZBrush or uh, blender or some 3d modeling program. Uh, or in the case of our like ships and stuff, like it, like more hard surface stuff, and that's the case with most companies, they're using like SolidWorks or some form of CAD program, uh, and that's, you know, you're just basically modeling, box modeling like a ship. Now, are you responsible for how it goes on the sprue, or is that a, a separate department? That is, um, so I am involved in that. Uh, but some of that is decided actually by our factory there. They lay out the parts on the frame, uh, based off of, there's a lot of reasons too. you have like pressure, you know, actual like injection pressure. And like, you know, if you, if you don't have the correct pressure, then you end up having like bays that don't fill. So you'll end up getting like short shot is what it's called, which even GW, the masters, right. They have that happen. Like I, I even bought like a, a GW thing not that long ago. And there's like a rope that was like half injected. So, uh, that's mostly done because of for injection reasons. Um, but there's, you know, you can say, Oh, I'd prefer if all these parts are near each other or whatever. <clears throat> Is that why absolutely the B1? fascinating? Hmm? Is that why the B1 heads are two parts? <laughs> no, the B1 heads are two parts. That's, uh, that's, that's, it's a good, um, that, that's a good question because it basically leads to like a lot of the uh, challenges of hard plastic, uh, which we could definitely get to that when we get to that question um, more directly. But uh, there's there's reasons. There's reasons things are more parts. <laughs> we don't just go, you know, it'd be great if this was two parts, just because I feel like people will love it. <laughs> what was the first miniature that you worked on for Legion specifically? Uh, so I, as I said, I was a freelancer for fantasy flight for a long time. And then, uh, I did a lot of other things, but then what happened was I applied for, um, there was an opening and I was really wanting to, I was actually from Colorado. So I was looking, I was excited to kind of like move out of state and there was an opening for a three print technician, which, uh, was right at the beginning, like right a little before the actual, and not the beginning of Legion since release, but like the begin, like, you know, the beginning of Legion in-house, like actual making of the game. And uh, I ended up getting that job. And so that's when I actually started at Fantasy Flight. And um, so I was actually mostly involved in a lot of like 3D printing and like, you know, setting up 3 prints and like checking out prototypes of our, because again, we're digital sculpts. So if we want to see something, we can just 3D print it and be like, okay, is this going to make it to plastic? Which is, you know, still hard to tell because 3D printing is still not like up to plastic injection. Plastic injection is just crazy detail level. Um, but so I started there and then right then we were starting to kind of figure out what's it going to look like and, you know, how, you know, how are we going to make it? What's the scale? You know, all these questions in the air and, and, uh, that's when I started. So I, I actually, I ended up working on, uh, as both a sculptor and a 3d print technician, probably every model in some capacity, even a small capacity in that core set. Uh, cause I, when I started, um, 
I kind of like really tried to push for us to try some like more scaling, like ways of scaling stuff in the software. And I had some like ideas on how to make everything much easier to make everything consistent and stuff. And uh, yeah, so I ended up doing some minor amount of work on probably everything in the core set. So just to clarify, like, so you say you're, you started as a 3d print technician and I'm guessing that the 3d printing is like a, um, sort of a quality thing, right? Like, will this design stand up to the pressures of plastic? Pretty much. Um, not necessarily like pressures. I guess actually, I guess you're right. Uh, but pretty much. Yeah. So it's like, okay, do these details actually show up? Right. And again, three, the 3d prints, even though we have like a crazy awesome 3d printer, uh, it's still not like up to the detail level of plastic. So it's like, or at least hard plastic with PVC, there is actually usually a loss, um, due to different reasons, uh, the soft plastic. And, um, so it was usually like, okay, well, how thin is this? Is this going to be all bendy? Is this going to be fiddly to assemble? Um, does this actually look like, you know, a person <laughs> at this size? Um, and, and also that's just how we, um, especially used to like, uh, get, um, approvals on stuff. So we'd be like, oh, dude, does everyone else like this? <laughs> so 3d printing is kind of like our way of like showing what we've been working on usually. I have K2SO in front of me. So when you brought up like, is this, you know, thin arms, you know, K2SO as he's like really spinning arms. Oh man, in PVC, that guy would have been like flying all the time, like a little, like, you know, when you draw a bird and it's just like two lines and arcs, (laughs) that's his arms would have been like that. He'd be like flapping away in in PVC. (laughs) You you worked on the the Legion corset, which is awesome. And and it sounds like basically everything that's, that's came, came after. So um, I guess the the natural follow up question to that is, what was your favorite to work on, and mm-hmm. why? Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's actually a tough question because I you said I worked on everything, which is technically not true. Like I, we, we you know we have other sculptors and and everything, so we've people we share the work pretty pretty uh, across the board, but. In a weird way, I, I have been mostly involved with most models just because what I had become for the sculpting department, because uh, as you know, I'm not a 3D print technician anymore, <laughs> um, is kind of a mix between like quality control. I kind of established some of the style of Legion specifically. Uh, and then also uh, I just I was the person who, especially when we were doing drop casting, which is how we did the soft plastic. Um, I was the person who had printed the most stuff and also seen it right before printing it in digital. So I had like a really good eye for like one-to-one of like, Oh, is this, is this detail large enough with, you know, not just measuring it, but also like just by eye. And, uh, so I have kind of worked on a lot of things and it's funny because a huge portion of the beginning of Legion, I was kind of the finisher, you know, I was like always coming in doing the last pass uh and parting stuff and like getting it ready for the factory and then uh and then moving on to the next thing so i i wasn't always starting models right from scratch um at least at least for legion um so anyway actually biston biston which is like sounds like it's way late in the game (laughs) because i like worked on so much legion uh biston was probably like one of the first ones i got to do completely from scratch uh, which was so much fun for me because he's very detailed for PVC. Um, and the, yeah, that one was probably my first favorite, but my my current favorite is one that I was actually, uh, I'm really glad that this is happening after the, the virtual Gen Con because uh, it's Darth Maul for sure. I, I was like, ever since we started Le- Legion, I was like, oh man, when we do Darth Maul, I got to do Darth Maul. <laughs> So for, I'm getting the sense that the shift from soft plastic to hard plastic, you feel like kind of unshackled. Oh yeah, no, that changed so much stuff and uh, opened up a lot of like, not just, not just the ability to do stuff that you couldn't before, but also just like there's so much learning, and so much like epiphanies and stuff, you know, and and even like looking at you know you look at like GW, I mean when they went from like 
pewter and stuff to like hard plastic. There's so much that you can do. And also, but there's also so many restrictions. And if you don't know how to get past the restrictions, you'll just make a mess. <laughs> and um, even GW, you know, ran into that. And so it's like similar. So Darth, Darth Maul's though, is like, that's pretty nuts. It was like, you know, we are really trying to push. I was really wanting to push likenesses. I was like, oh, you know what? I want to sculpt his expressions. I want like a couple expressions, which I actually did like the grinny teeth one first. Uh, and then reverted to the other one. And I was like, you know, so it's like, you're getting a lot more like focusing in on like anatomy and like, you know, having a lot more fun, not trying to like caricature everything just to like make it show up. Um, and of course the face tattoos and whatnot. So it definitely is a lot of fun uh, to, to work on that one. You mentioned that like you can do things in hard that you can't do in soft plastic. So like you mentioned K2S's arms, can you think of another example off the top of your head, just real quick, um, of something that you can do now that you have the hard plastic that you couldn't do with the soft? Yeah, so it's also not just the plastic. It's also the process. Um, that's actually the, the secret. That's the real secret. Everyone, you know, it's, it's always about the plastic material. And even for me, I was like, oh, yeah, we got to get the hard plastic, right? But also a huge portion of... Um, <clears throat> a huge portion of um that that like detail and that like ability to do stuff comes from how you make the tool and by tool i mean mold um soft plastic uh especially like the way that we did soft plastic is th there's like a couple different ways you can make molds right and the one of the oldest is drop casting and uh drop casting is like and sorry, this will eventually answer your question. I just feel like this is like, this will give you some information as to why some of these things are problems. Um, basically, like with drop casting, you send an actual physical model. So in our case, when we were doing digital sculpting, it'd be like a really high detail print, right? Um, and like I said, hard plastic has actually got a higher detail ratio than even the best printers that you can get right now. Um, but then... And top of that, like same with traditional sculpting, which we talked about earlier, it's just like you have to actually send a physical model, you know, and you actually take that and you'll like make basically like a positive of the negative, if that makes sense. So you'll like put, you'll make like a little plaster and like walls and you put the model in there and then you like literally melt steel and pour it over it. <laughs> and you do that for both halves. And so you're like it's this very hand on process. It leads to kind of like imperfect molds and it's the way that everyone does it. I mean, like if, if people wonder how a lot of companies get detail on the sides of their models and stuff in PVC, it's because you can rip that soft plastic out of these like imperfect molds and get details on the sides that shouldn't be possible, but you can do it because you know, that's the process of that, that molding process. And, but it's also really dirty and it means like over time you have like, Dirty as in like not perfect. It's like over time you have like the molds close so much mm -hmm. and like mold lines start to shift. And if you like look at the, um, and, and we, I, I feel like we did a very good job of trying to improve drop casting. Our, our, us and our factory, I feel really good about where, I think we kind of like, this is not 100% true, but like mastered PVC <laughs> and drop casting. Because like if you look at even like the last Stormtrooper box that came out, the upgrade pack, um, you know, with like the, backpacks and stuff and then you look at like the corset stormtroopers um both awesome they look you know same same like look and stuff but like there's a, a bunch of differences not only in the actual injection process for the the stormtroopers but also how we design stuff for plastic so all of a sudden like if you look at the corset you've got like two part stormtroopers who have like their arms stretch into place and but their heads like part of their body and the mold line kind of goes around at an angle um and it's like, as you get more consistent with how you part things, and as you get more consistent with like, you know, the, the thickness of pieces, you'll end up getting more perfect plastic. And so like, if you look at the last PVC stuff we did and the first PVC stuff we did for Legion, it's like, even just there, I feel like you can see a massive difference in just like surface quality. Um, and some of that's just the mold process and everything. Um, and so soft plastic is, you know, is usually, um, it's it, the reason that PVC or soft plastic has some of the problems that it does in detail specifically is also because of the tooling process. So how you make that mold. Um, 
However, its biggest issues are if you have a thin part, it's bendy, of course. And then also if you have a thick part, like if you have a mold that's like, let's say most of the stuff is like two millimeters thick. If you have any parts of those models that are like thicker, let's say four millimeters or six millimeters, uh, look at like you look at like a lot of board games from people on Kickstarter or whatever. They'll have like a dude riding a horse. Um, the horse will sometimes like its t- its feet will touch, like its front feet and its back feet. Like you'll get this. Uh, it's called mold sink, um, but it's basically warping, and it's not because of the fact that it's soft plastic it's not because of some supports or whatnot it's because of actually differences in thickness in the piece so the thinnest pieces will cool quickly but the thickest pieces will cool slowly and what will happen is as soon as it comes out of the mold the, the thick parts will start cooling and as they harden it'll like take you'll basically have someone whose arms are out to their sides and they'll slowly start like hugging someone, you know, um, or. Right. Cause there's like a shrinkage, right? Exactly. That and so the parts that are shrinks. thin are already cooled and they're just going to bend with it. So like, even with our stuff, like I feel like our PVC got really good and really consistent, but no matter what with, with soft plastic and also those drop cast molds, which are just imperfect, they don't have perfect pressure. You're going to have like, you know, a stormtrooper running with a gun. And then all of a sudden, like the, the the third or fifth shot of that, there's a chance that he's just like leaning backwards slightly, <laughs> you know, because it's like torso is, you know, where like all of our stuff was was like a solid body. Right. So that solid body is just like, like millimeters of plastic that's just like cooling at a different rate than the legs. And so you end up with these like leaning, you know, models leaning and stuff and. Uh, I mean, that's just part of that process. I mean, board games have that problem. Everyone has that problem. Uh, it's why two copies of the same product, you know, from anyone uh, it can have that problem. Even dice, you know, um, you'll get like, you know, the, uh, and that's actually why they call it mold sink is you'll see the dip in the side where it shrinks and it basically causes like a, like a bump, you know, like someone pushed it in. Um, yeah. Yeah. My co-host might be mad at me for asking this now because it might be taking this a little too far away from the the main line of the interview. But I want to ask, like, did you encounter that problem with like Tauntauns, for example, because they have. Those yeah. Kind of so first, like, that's like uh, they're, they're, the thing about the Tauntauns, thankfully, is that they are more on average thicker. So uh, but the problem is, is that the thicker, you know, your injection rate on that mold and the time it has to stay closed is like a little longer. Um, I feel like they oddly are pretty good, but any of that stuff that's too thick you know will have those problems but that's like the biggest one with with pvc um and sorry i'll be quick but with hard plastic you actually have similar problems um you have but the difference with hard plastic is that rather than bending the whole piece you'll actually end up just getting a hole in it um so it'll like you know pucker and pop a little hole into it or it'll or you'll get like just one side of it will bend in like like the dice um, and that's, uh, that's, that's, that's like a similar problem, but it's not as, it's not as bad because it's like contained to one small area, you know? Um, and there's just, it's more, it's more finicky. Let's just put it that way. So as, as more as like with each new release, it seems like even within the same process, you know, within soft plastic models and then separately within hard plastic models, the new releases mm-hmm. are just getting progressively better with each, with each um with each miniature is that just the progress of essentially having more practice at the sculpting process and the um yeah the modeling process? um I, I think so i mean honestly i think some of it too is like like the hard plastic stuff uh that's a big part of it really uh like i said i think we kind of hit the 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 end of the road on pvc and drop casting it was like this is the best drop casting that you can do you just can't do this any better but with hard plastic specifically, actually digital tooling is, is kind of part of what I was going to say last time was, um, and so instead of making that interpositive, you actually like make a digital file. That's like, this is the negative. And you ca- you literally carve it out of steel with like a d- computer powered C- CNC machine. And so as you, with that process, it opens up so many things, right? Like it, it, it but it also opens up a lot of, rules and it's like okay how do you kind of apply these rules 
to to make a better product, right? To and some of that is like deciding how we part stuff to make the end users have more options and also just like leveraging detail um, because like, yeah, I mean, it's just like, like you said, it's like something that as, as you do more of it, you get better at it. And, uh, and you just kind of figure out like for me, I think the thing that I have enjoyed the most is just trying to like, like, how do I, you know, make something? How do, how do we like, like take this, the, uh, the most cool detailed posed thing that we can, uh, and you know, with PVC, we're so used to, we were so used to like certain restrictions and with hard plastic, there's less, but it's like, it's harder to, well, there's technically more restrictions, but it's like, you can get away with more if you know how to like play the game, I guess. Uh, the biggest thing being you can't have undercuts. Um, I think I said before with this soft plastic molds, you'll sometimes you can have like details on the sides of the model, but it's like the soft plastic will just rip out of the mold. Um, with hard plastic, you can't. If there's any like undercuts, basically, it's a hard material. So it's just going to get stuck in the mold. Uh, and you can also just can't physically tool them because you're cutting down out of a piece of the steel. So it's like, well, how do you get details on every side of the part, on every side of the model, you know? Um, and that starts to open up so many questions, <laughs> so many problems. And uh, it's just coming up with solutions that don't take up more mold space, don't mean adding parts, right? Um, I don't want to just sit here and needlessly add parts. I mean, many companies have done that. And uh, we want to make sure stuff's fun to assemble, you know? So it's really, it's kind of just like seeing what you can, what you did and trying it out, seeing how people respond to it and then just keep, keep pushing it, you know? Yeah. And uh, you mentioned, um, you know, options being a big part of kind of the suite of things that um, was improving about the models. And I think, uh, you know, we started really seeing that in like Sabine and Bosk having like multiple arm options mm -hmm. and head options and stuff like that. Um, you know, w was that a challenge to kind of go from like single poses to multi-pose models? Like what, what sort of things did you guys run into as yeah, far as um... that process went? So that, that, that definitely was its own thing. Um, basically, like when I started, you know, we, we, we kind of hadn't really fully experienced a minis game on the level of Legion. I mean, Rune Wars is, is, is unique and awesome, but Rune Wars was definitely trying to like appease or appeal, appeal to like board gamers, I think, you know, with like these kind of mostly pre-assembled models and stuff. Um, with Legion, I think it was just like a whole new ball game. And I think the biggest right off the bat thing, like there's a set decision of just like, you can have, you know, you, your, your unit card has this on it. And this is the stuff you can take as a stormtroopers. Um, so how many sculpts do you need, right? You need one to like represent everything that you can take in the box. Uh, but then there's also, you know, it opens up questions of just like, yeah, but like, should <laughs> should there be seven unique sculpts every time? Should there should there be different arms? All the you know, like like should heads be able to turn right instead of be part of the body? And I had I I, I asked a lot of questions about some of this stuff because I I really felt like um, the more that we all talked about it, the more that we all kind of dug into it, the more we were just like we want to make sure that people have like you know, the stuff they need to like have fun with the hobby and also depict what they kind of want to depict. And also if you have two boxes of stormtroopers, you want them to look different, you know, um, you want to have like that kind of variety on the table. Um, and that, uh, that was pretty difficult at first, um, to figure out how to like make it work. With PVC, it's a little, it was, I guess it's a little more forgiving. As soon as we got into hard plastic, it was like, okay, well, um, that's gonna, <laughs> it's, it gets hard. Like I, like I said, it's like, there's this huge question of like, well, uh, how do you get detail on every side of the model, um, in hard plastic? Cause, cause there's more restrictions. Stuff has to come out of the mold. Um, but there's also like, you can do thinner parts and you can do, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, and, and, and you can open up mold space because you can uh, 
because you can have thinner parts. Like in PVC, if, if I were to like hollow out a body, that would be a problem usually, uh, unless I was trying to just mitigate some of that mold sink I was talking about. And you would usually do that with what's called a slide, which is like a piece of mold that moves, uh, like basically it's like a third piece of the mold that moves sideways. So you can get details on the side of something. And if you look at like all the PVC stuff, every single body that has holes on it for stuff to plug into, every single side of those parts has to have a slide that goes to it, which means it has to be on the edge of the mold or there's got to be a slide in the center of the mold. And it's basically you're taking up mold space. So it's like with hard plastic, it's like, well, how do we get more bits in the mold? Well, we don't use slides. Um, also, we kind of should because we don't want to have mold sink. We want to have parts that have no detail loss due to like shrinkage. So you start hollowing out bodies and having consistent wall thickness and then you split them in half and all of a sudden you've got like, you know, you can see where the plugs are going to go. And you know, it, it basically it's like if you see the phase two clone troopers um, who don't have as many pose options, I'll admit, uh, but I do think that they, they are like a great example of kind of like the difference in hard plastic there's like i think the only slides on that mold are like to get like a gun barrel and like detail on a guy's helmet um so it's it's like it's kind of night and day just the options that just stuff like that can do um and it allows it allows us to try and do more pose options and bits you know yeah i mean it's it's really awesome the the stuff that you guys have, have you know been able to kind of evolve into over the course of the game's development um how do you feel like that could kind of develop so, and i can't kind of talk too much about some of this stuff but i do, i will say that um a big part of my goals lately um and for the past like couple waves uh, have been like i feel like i like because I, I, I actually do a lot of the plastic parting or in hard plastic. So I'm kind of the one who's sort of hands-on a lot with with some with many of the models or, or trying to help come up with cool parting ideas. And so for me, it's like my goal and the thing that I think we're all pushing for now is we want to get options for people, right? So they can assemble stuff the way they want. And also like just try trying new things like like you'll probably see over the last like as as even just the, the the stuff that just got announced right like earth mall and stuff you're gonna see like differences in in how models kind of go together you're gonna see also new ways that models go together and uh it doesn't i feel like it's not even until pretty recently that i felt like okay this is this is kind of like the way <laughs> that i i think is best um because you can look at all these other companies and how they do it. And there's not very many of them. <laughs> when I say all these other companies, it's like mostly like, you know, uh, people have been doing it for a long time. Um, and it's like, okay, well, I like this or I don't like this. So it's like, how do we kind of do this our own way or come up with our own way of like parting these models and also organizing how that plastic is in a product, basically. Um, like, how do we make sure that, like, do, do I need to, do we need to set, uh, do like like kind of like i was saying earlier earlier it's like do you give people just like one model per function or are you giving them like options and bits and giving them the ability to kind of build what they want and i think it's kind of like somewhere in the middle ground of like making that decision and uh i guess i can't get too much into it but i'm just excited about it <laughs> i'm excited because i do feel like you're gonna see over the next couple waves uh, more and more um consistency i guess but also hopefully easier and f more fun to put together stuff with with options which sounds like it's checking all the boxes but i i, I it's, it's it's definitely the product of a lot of work <laughs> yeah it's actually it's it's uh it's kind of a challenge you know because you have a with legion you have a customer base where some of your players come from games like x-wing or Armada or board games where they never had to assemble anything. And some of your other customers come, mm -hmm. come from other mini games where they're used to all these crazy bits and options and posability. And you kind of have yeah, to yeah. like and strike a balance. Between it's a whole other process. Like games. the way we make stuff, we don't, you know, 3d print out parts. We're not like, like it, it's a whole new way of doing stuff with, with tools that I had to like figure out. <laughs> you know? And, uh, 
it's so when people when you look at like you know like what other minis games have done in the past and and you see like all these crazy pieces that go together these puzzles you know um it, it's it's like kind of daunting because you're trying to reverse engineer some of that and but you're also doing it like you know there's restrictions just in how legion is like i feel like there's a lot more the proportions are not necessarily realistic but they're more realistic than many other minis games it's it, like some, most of the goal right is to like kind of a capture a little bit of that realism like like again i go back to the phase twos but i'm just like super proud of that box um like i feel like when you look at the phase two box all assembled it's like it's like you it's like it seems like the right proportions <laughs> it's like that feels just like what i remember uh but it's not right it's like it's it, it's like how do you make it feel like that in miniature form and um that when you then you have to part that and you have to like you have all these restrictions on you can't have undercuts everything has to hook together really well and also you're like you want to make a puzzle out of the parting so it's like fun to put together and also you get away with more right as soon as you have more like these puzzle piece connections you you have more freedom and how the part can lay in the mold uh as soon as you put like a plug on it you're like forced to look at the plug either from the side or right at it uh otherwise you'll get like garish draft on it um which is its own problem but to like to to do that to make something easy to assemble but also just like four things have to connect to this spot and they all have different pole directions which is just the term in which it lays in the mold um that's it's a kind of a nightmare <laughs> sometimes so there's a lot of like super impressive detail on some of these new sculpts that were previewed such as the textured tattoos on mm-hmm. Maul's face and the hollow puck that the clone commander is holding um can you talk at all about how these were done or is this only possible with hard plastic? Uh, I will say yes. <laughs> I, I think, I think actually, uh, it is possible with soft plastic, and not not the hollow, not the little hollow uh, hollow puck guy. Um, but I think the tattoos on Darth Maul's face potentially, um, not quite to the same detail level. But um, one thing I, I kind of alluded to earlier is like the tooling process. A lot of the actual real differences between hard plastic and soft plastic is, is kind of also just how that molds made. Like I said, like you're actually tooling it with like a CNC machine that's controlled by like a, a digital file. Like we don't send any physicals. The, the entire mold is made, you know, through our files that we have to make perfect <laughs> um, beforehand. Um, and that alone is such a huge difference. And there's actually even some other, like basically, even some of the PVC stuff that we've done, um, which you'll see more of, but we've started doing a lot more digital tooling on. So you'll start seeing more and more detail, even just in our soft plastic, which is crazy, but you still have all that bending. So I th- I'd say that Darth Maul's face, probably, yes, it could happen. Um, I think you could get it into soft plastic, because again, it's about the tooling process, which is the real, the real challenge. Um, and the real power, but not quite, again, not as sharp. It'll cause PVC rounds a, a bit more on the edges. It won't, it won't fill into the corners as well. Cause it sticks together much, much, uh, it's more viscous, um, or less viscous, uh, whatever one, uh, but the hollow puck a hundred percent, because that thing would just, you know, it'd be all bent and stuff and crazy looking. Um, and the detail level is, is like, it's so tiny. Like, I, I know that it's probably pretty obvious how tiny it is, but also, like, even when I saw it for the first time in plastic, I was like, man, that is, that is so tiny. <laughs> it's so tiny, and it's so detailed, and it's awesome. And uh, I feel like no matter how prepared you are for that little hologram clone, uh, you're, not, you're not prepared because <laughs> it's going to still surprise you. So I got to ask now, um, now that we've we've – had this fascinating time together. Uh, do you play Legion? Like, do you have time to actually play the um, game that you you do such uh, great work you. sculpting? But uh, I I do actually. I, I don't play as often as a lot of the other people, and I don't play. I actually don't, just don't play that many games as much as other people. Um, but I, I do play Legion, and I do some hobbying mildly. Um, 
but I I'm I I'm a busy busy guy. I don't play as many games as I as I want to. I always I I have like a that bookshelf. I have the bookshelf full of games and with tons of Legion. I have tons of Legion in my closet. Tons of it assembled. Um, but uh, I do not play nearly enough of them. Um, and actually, for me, if I had to pick a faction, I would probably pick Separatists. I am a big Separatist fan. I love the whole just droids for days and. I love Grievous. I love Dooku. I love Darth Maul. Um, and like BX droids. I've, I've actually been able to do a lot of the droids. Um, I got to pose and model a lot of those, uh, including the BX droids, which I'm super excited about. And those are awesome. And I will, I can confirm that their head is one part to get back to the B1 head. I will answer that. Uh, the reason is that they have a lot of detail in the back of their head and the top of their head. And but also they need to register so that you don't have just like a flat bottom on the head for them to go on the neck. So and we really wanted them to have posability. That was like our big goal for them was like because you're going to run a lot more of them. Uh, And so to make the head fit on the neck on like a like on a ball, basically, so you can roll it and rotate it. And because the detail we didn't want a mold line going down the face and the eyes tend to favor the top. We didn't want to do the projection side to side. Um, and no matter what, um, like I mentioned, the slide thing, you'd have to have a slide that came in and would hit the details on the back of the head. And that would mean that every single B1 Baldroid head would have to go on the outside of the mold, and all of them would have to have a slide hit the back of them. And it's it, it's, it takes up mold space real fast. It also causes a lot of just trouble. And at the time, uh, we were definitely having trouble with slides and hard plastic. I'll, I'll admit that. Um, we were uh, having issues with some of the detail coming through on, uh, from slides on certain parts, So, uh, which is now fixed. I like our slides look great. Um, but that's what we did. We designed it that way. It's not too bad to put together, but I also understand because it's not hollowed out, right? It's not like a big helmet that needs hollowed, needs split in half. Um, so that it's not like a big, thick piece of plastic, but it does, it did need it. That was our call. Well, for whatever it's <laughs> worth, I really appreciated it because I had not put together a comp, like a complex kit in like several years. And I was like, oh man, this is really great. Like I, <laughs> I, I actually enjoyed it and I loved the thing. Yeah, I'm glad. So, I'm glad yeah. that we got so much posability out of the B1s and Grievous. And then I immediately was like, let's correct this with the B2 droids. <laughs> it's like as few parts as possible. Yeah, I'm actually staring here looking at my nearly finished horde of uh, <laughs> yeah. six units of B1s and appreciating how posable they are. So uh, I, for one, do not mind the two-part heads. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I know that that has been a source of frustration for some people mm-hmm. um but you know you yeah. get used to it you get in a little when, when, like i said parting's only going to get easier to assemble as we go and uh or more fun right sometimes easy and fun are not necessarily the same yeah sometimes the most fun mm-hmm. miniatures to put together are the ones that have lots of little bits and stuff that you can mess around with and mm-hmm. pose in different ways and customize um and are more difficult um well uh, Corey, thanks for thanks for coming on. Uh, you got any parting thoughts? Oh gosh, that question is loaded to me because I do so much parting at work. Um, <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean?" I just is gave you a bad joke. I, I, <laughs> uh, yeah. Any closing thoughts? Oh yeah, there you go. Closing. Yeah, there you go. I, my brain was reeling. Uh, not so much. I I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, it's it's nice having uh, you know more and more being on stream and, and and people actually like wanting to talk about sculpting uh which is which is exciting yeah and we're we're all super excited to see whatever the next uh awesome sculpts are that that get that get previewed um and for legion in general So that was Corey DeVore, the sculpting lead for Legion from FFG. Um, that was that was a lot of very insightful information. I had no idea uh, that the process was so complicated. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, yeah. You know, it's not just the plastic. It really is a whole like integrated process. He started kind of like going into it in the first five minutes and I was like, oh man, like I definitely don't understand anything about this process. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, it, it helps to, you know, like the thing with, I love the anecdote about the, the B1 heads because it helps to understand, you know, you look at these things and you're like, why are these two pieces? Um, and then expl- having someone actually explain the process to you. You know, now it makes sense, right? You have essentially like two halves of a sandwich and you got to smash those two halves of the sandwich together. And because you're coming from, you know, two directions, like you can't put detail on the sides of the two halves of that sandwich. Um, So like the B1 head there is sort of uniquely (laughs) um, difficult to make one piece when you're, when you're working with like a mold like that. And just hearing, hearing that process in detail gives you appreciation for, really the effort and difficulty that goes into making sculpts the quality that we now see versus like some of the original ones. I would love for someone to make like a documentary about like the process. Like, I don't know how much time or money or what even what audience that would have, but I know that I would watch it. (laughs) Yep. Totally. Um, well, we are, uh, uh, we were going to wrap this up. We actually, we have some Gen Con stats to talk about, but we're going to do that uh, either next week or um, maybe the week after. Um, and uh, let's, let's go ahead and close this thing out. We are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David. Zach is doing much more important things and uh, we'll see you next week. 